you brought a Bible, you can open it to the book of Luke, chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 8 to 21. Primarily, though, tonight, verse 11. I notice there's a certain group of kids that will go nameless. Some of those might be in my family that see it as their job, and rightly so, to time the pastor's sermon on Sundays and let me know about it, or whoever else is up here preaching. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure tonight uh, those watches are being, you know, kept even, you know, to the finer point, because is there something going on tomorrow that you want to get to? I don't know, but okay, wrap it up. I'm getting the sign. Um, let us draw our attention to the reading of God's Word as we look um, at the story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, a very familiar story to us, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for, I, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Verse 21, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. Amen. Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us his word this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together this, this evening. And we pray that as we just heard your word read, and as it goes out here, that you would be gracious to us, merciful to us, that you would soften our hearts, that we would hear your story of redemption and rescue, that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not. And would you do all these things for your glory alone, we pray. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to do something we did, we've only done once before, and that was, this was back in September, and this is just going to, I'm going to ask for some participation, only if you're willing, nobody's forced, and that is, uh, as we focus on verse 11 for our time here this evening, uh, when you hear me read, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, I would like for you to respond, if you're willing, who is Christ the Lord? So let's practice that, Can we practice that? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Not bad. Who is Christ the Lord? Yes. Okay. 
So that's, that's the game plan, all right? Recently caught a commercial for a certain uh, luxury SUV this, uh, actually this past week, and it was interesting because uh, as I watched the commercial, <laughs> there was nothing said about the car. And, and this, isn't, this has kind of been a new thing, or not, this isn't a new thing, this has been an ongoing thing where you um, see this ad for a car and, and, and you almost forget that it's about a car because they're doing something else. They don't tell you anything about the car. And in this particular commercial, it was a celebrity doing it. You, you learned about two things. There was, in this nice car, there was a place for you to put your cell phone to charge it, which is pretty neat, wireless charging in the car. Uh, and then the second thing you learned about this car is that the driver's seat has a massage feature. So you can get a back massage as you're driving. That was it. There wasn't any information about the engine. There wasn't any information about, I mean, sometimes you hear things about suspension, even if you don't know what that is, right? <laughs> All you heard about was wireless charging station for your phone and a massage feature for the driver's chair. That was it. I actually was kind of interested in buying the car after that. That maybe says something about me. Uh, why do I draw all this attention uh, to this commercial? So much of this ad assumes a story. So much of the ad, so much of everything that went into this assumes a story, and it assumes, right, a history of a car. Right? It assumes a history of consumers like you and me driving cars and knowing what they are, and the story that goes into everything uh, from, from when the car was first built to where it's gotten to today, and everything in between. It assumes a story. If you were an alien touching down on Earth for the first time, and you saw this commercial without knowing anything about cars, you'd just think that this was a very interesting way to charge a phone. That's, of course, if you knew what a phone was. It assumes a story. When we come to this text in Luke, the same is true. It assumes a story. It assumes a context. Christmas, friends, assumes a story. And without understanding that story, without understanding that context, it's just an interesting way to charge a phone in one sense. And sometimes we, especially if you've been around the church, we assume that, that everybody knows this story that Christmas itself assumes. And so we don't tell it. But I think it's actually the best part of Christmas and perhaps the most necessary to understanding what is really going on in the text that we just read, but also how we, as Christians, should respond as well. So what is the story that Christmas assumes? It's the biblical story, which is a story, friends, of rescue. It is a story of rescue. It's a story that tells us on Christmas that we have been spared something because we have been given something. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. I let it slide. Historically, the church has always taught on the four final things during Advent leading up to Christmas. And whether you're aware of this or not, those four final things are this. It taught on death, judgment, heaven, and hell. The four last things, the four final things, and you're probably thinking maybe what I'm thinking, right? This is Christmas, right? I don't want to hear a message from the pastor on death or judgment or hell. I want to go home and drink my eggnog, and I want to sit by the fire. 
But the reason the church has taught on these four final things is because by the time we get to the end, the fourth, like by the time we get to hell, we realize that we need a miracle, that we need a Savior. See, in some ways, Advent is really a season of desperation. We should find ourselves this evening, if we are entering into the story that Christmas assumes, desperate and needing something that we can't provide on our own. But it's also a season of anticipation, and that's where this manger scene with the birth of a Savior sits. It comes to us in the moment of our deepest desperation, but also our greatest anticipation. And it says, the Savior has arrived. You've been spared something because you've been given something. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. In all of the ways a sovereign God could rescue his creation, the God of the Bible chooses to come to us. It's unheard of. Chooses to come to us, to come in our likeness. As the text says, he was what? Born. Born to us. He came into our human condition, the text says. He became like us. That is to say, his place of birth has a zip code. You can mail something there today if you want. And as the angel continues, he came what? As a savior for us. The word for savior here literally means someone who rescues people from death and destruction. See, Luke is picking up right where the story left off. The Old Testament story, a story that starts with, in the beginning, God created. And what did he create? He created everything. He created animals and plants, the sun, the moon, rivers, and the oceans, right? And at the pinnacle of that creation, he made mankind and he placed them in his creation to steward it. And why was mankind the pinnacle of his creation? We read that everything that God created was good, but for, for mankind, man was what? Very good. And why? Because there was no other creation that was created in God's image. Therefore, they both, men, man and woman, mankind in their own right, carry dignity and worth simply by, by being made in God's image. And God placed them in his creation, and he did this to model uh, his self-giving love of creating, not least, right, of that being fruitful and multiplying or having children, but also in their righteous ruling together as they steward God's creation together. In other words, they were on mission together. And the best part of this mission together that they were on is that they were in perfect harmony with God. They followed him. They listened to him. They laughed with him. They obeyed him. They loved him. They felt no insecurity, no fear. They needed nothing. By any stretch of the imagination, certainly that is paradise. But then something happened. And we don't get all of the details here, but there was a break in this fellowship between God and mankind, and this did not come on God's end. It came from our end. We were given the opportunity and the privilege, if you will, to demonstrate or show our love for God by him giving us agency. 
God refused to make us robots that just served him, and instead he gave us agency or will. You might say it's what makes us truly human. And the way God gave this agency to us is by giving us what? A command to follow and obey. It's that simple. It wasn't that the command itself uh, was anything significant. It was simply just don't eat of this tree here. Have everything else. Don't eat here. Rather, what was significant was what the command pointed to, or what obedience to the command points to, I should say, because what that points to is love. It's what all obedience to any command points to. It says, I love you. I think of you more than myself in this moment. I'm willing to deny myself, my needs and my wants, in order to serve and love you, to honor you. It also says, I trust you. Kind of like the command to not open any Christmas presents until Christmas Day. I just hold off, right? One, one, soon all of these things will be yours. Trust me. See, obedience says I love you enough to deny myself. Sacrifice, as we know, is always the essence of deep, meaningful relationship because nothing communicates love in a stronger way than a willingness to what? Sacrifice for another. And so this was what and how God created a context where the creation, us, and, and, and everything around us, right, and God himself could live together and demonstrate their care and love for each other in real relationship together. But it proved too much for Adam and Eve, as it would have for any of us. They broke the command, this breaking trust breaking the relationship in ways that we can't understand. But to say the least, right, that day has thrown a wrench into every other day since. At the core of what has happened is we have been separated from God. Now, insecurity and fear mark us as any child separated from their parents would, and instead of our hearts caring about what we did, we actually prefer it that way. We do. We prefer it that way. We became teenagers overnight, so to speak, right? You go your way, and I'll go mine. Actually, God has become our enemy, we find out. And in our heart of hearts, we hate him. Not necessarily uh, in the way that we might hate vegetables, or maybe not even in the way that we think about hating a particular political party, right? But more so in the kind of way that breeds indifference. We just don't care. You've heard it say the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. I'd rather be hated than somebody be indifferent towards me because hatred still says you kind of care. But that's what happened, and even in the midst of this indifference in our hearts, consequences for those disobedience, right, consequences for breaking the fellowship, they still linger. A God who creates everything and rules everything still rules and has say over his creation, even if you don't think of him anymore. And this is where our trouble really begins because the consequences for this injustice towards him is death. It's an extinction. And not by actively enforcing death by shooting lightning bolts at us, which is sometimes depicted, but by simply allowing our decisions to unfold naturally. Remember what you said, you go your way, I'll go mine. Okay. Okay. 
And as a parent of four, this would devastate me. And God is our creator is no different as scripture tells us. But this is where, at least for some of us, the story takes an unexpected turn. For some reason, God says, in spite of all of this, in spite of your indifference and your disregard for me, I'm still going to fix things. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to rescue my people. And why? Because he, like a parent, loves them unconditionally, we might add. In fact, God promises to rescue his children, and keeping promises is actually another way to say what? To say, I love you. And so the story takes off from this point of tragedy and fall in the garden, and the glimpses we get as we read the story and try to enter it ourselves build a sense of what anticipation and expectation, what many tonight are experiencing in the view of tomorrow morning. We read of characters in this story who give us glimpses of what this Savior will do. We also read of tragedy and sorrow in this story, of war and death, of adulteries and deceit, friends turning their backs on other friends, brothers killing brothers. In other words, we get glimpses of the mess that we have created and the mess that we are in. We get a glimpse of the real human experience as ones who long to go their own way. But we see a lot of good things, too. We get glimpses, too, of what's still there inside of us, these echoes of Eden, if you will, of how we were created to live and to serve one another and love one another, of what happens in a world where everyone lives for themselves versus a world where everyone denies themselves. But even with all that good, the story leaves us wanting more. It leaves us asking the question, when is it going to get here? When is God's salvation going to arrive? When is the Savior going to get here? And then it happened. It happened. And the waiting ended. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Amen. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Why are they singing? Why are they rejoicing? Because they know what this means. They know where we are in the story. God is at work making good on a promise to rescue his people from their own destruction, to atone for the wrongs that we have committed against each other, against ourselves, but most importantly, against God himself. In other words, they are singing because the story of rescue has reached its climax. The Savior is here, and he is yours. For all who would believe. Which implies uh, to us this this evening a certain recognition that the worst thing that I could do is to live a life that decides to go its own way in the face of such love and grace. And now with this Savior born, right, those echoes of Eden, those traces uh, of, of who I am and probably more important, whose I am. And what I am here for, right, and the joy uh, that is in life that is found only in God himself, right, all of those echoes now become realities. That's why they're singing. 
That's why they're singing, salvation has come. See, Christmas assumes a story. And that's your story. That's your story. It assumes a story, and in part, that story is you have been spared something because you have been given something. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. As Eugene Peterson puts it, the entire meaning of the incarnation is that God enters our human condition, embraces it, and comes to where we are to save us. That simple. So tonight, you don't want to hear about the four final things. You want to hear about death, judgment, heaven, or hell. You just want to go home, drink your eggnog, and sit by the fire. Well, tonight you can. Tonight you can. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what you should do. Not in a way that speaks of indifference, though. Not in a way that, that speaks of, I want to do what I want to do. But in a way that speaks of celebration, of knowing the story that Christmas assumes and finding yourself in it as his redeemed children. That God is real, that his love for you in Christ is real, and he has come to where we are to save us. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Amen. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. You have given us something that we don't deserve. and We have been spared something we do deserve. And as it turns out, you gave that to your son who didn't deserve it. So as we celebrate Christmas and what that means, the birth of a Savior, I pray that we would rest well tonight, knowing our place in the story, knowing what you have done, that we would join in the chorus of angels singing praise to you because this has happened. And this has changed everything. I pray as well that as we think about what this means uh, for the birth of our Savior, that we also hold this anticipation tight as we anticipate his return. It is promised to us where he will come and make all things new. Would you be with us until that time by your Spirit? Would you do all these things we ask for your glory alone? Amen. As we turn